As we get into Galatians, I'm going to ask you for a question, first question. Today is largely going to be introduction. Why Galatians? And I'm going to talk about some things that I think are kind of characteristic when we come to faith or when a new church gets started. And typically, people who come to faith new or when a new church gets started, and this is revived, we're fairly young, Usually people gravitate towards those things because their life has been chaotic. It's had some wounds in their life. Some of the wounds have been self-inflicted. Some are the wounds that have come from others. And when they come to new faith, all of a sudden, it's like the darkness is removed. Light is shining. Everything is wonderful. We're excited. We're discovering. We're free from sins. We're free from addictions. We're free from shame. We're hungering for more. That's what faith is like when it's new. But then as we start hungering, and this is just part of our human journey, we start thinking, okay, I want to get even more. I want better teaching. I want better leaders, better systems, more community. And sometimes, when we've left an old form of slavery, when we discover something new, we substitute a new form of slavery. And I'm going to list several here, and I think as we get into Galatians, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to be talking about events 2,000 years ago, but a lot of this still affects our life today. One is, we're looking for a new, better leader. We may fall for some almost a worship-like experience for some celebrity Christian leader. In Paul's day, in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he called them the super-apostles. In Galatians, he talks about the Judaizers, but Paul's left, and now some guys come that seem to say, hey, we can do it better than Paul. Sometimes we're looking for something like a, a new system or some identifying marks. And when Paul writes to the Galatians, the church in Galatia is saying, okay, we want to take on some old systems, and they want to have Old Testament living rituals, or even the symbol of circumcision. And in our contemporary day, maybe instead of dealing with mystery, we want three quick points to a sermon, or we want some marks of what we should always look like as Christians. Sometimes we want to see how should Christians always dress. I heard a friend a couple of years ago talk about when you go to a Christian conference, and he was making a little bit of fun of it. He says, when you go there, everyone dresses the same, and they all have the same haircut. Have you ever been to a Christian function like that? And if you start exploring what church people look like, sometimes it's okay, everybody has a tattoo or nobody has a tattoo. Or sometimes everyone wears a tie or sometimes everyone wears skinny jeans and we have these little markers thinking, okay, this is it. Sometimes we're looking for some type of cultural cohesion. Because when Jesus says, go into all the world, to the ethnos of the world, we end up dealing with all of these different ways of looking at things in different languages and expressions, and we just want it to be cohesive. So sometimes we buy into a myth that there's one culture or one ethnicity that's got it all figured out, and they're superior to all others. The Jews believe that. We still hold up for that today. Sometimes, when our life is radically changed, it causes conflict with our family or relatives who were with us when we weren't radically changed. And we want to find some way to make a compromise so we can have 
more of our relationships. And this is part of it also with, with, with Galatians. They want to go back to be Jewish. Faith involves mystery. It means that we humans don't get to control everything. And sometimes when we have our newfound freedom, we want to create a new control mechanism, and we use Jesus' name in creating the control mechanism. But that's what it is. Now, conversely, some commentators will write about Galatians and they'll say, okay, when Paul moves into talking about the ethics in the book of Galatians of how we're supposed to live, he'll make the point, and the theologians will summarize that there's no rules to Christianity. And you and I say that, I, I agree with it, but it just uh, kind of is where I'm at. Yes, but kind of. The phrase that you might hear that I hear get thrown around a lot in contemporary Christianity is it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. Yeah, kind of. Because sometimes when we say it's just about a relationship, we don't go to the God of the Bible and try to understand who he is. We flick on our TV and find the relationship that we want in a movie and try to impose that upon God. Our God is mysterious, he's unfathomable, he's the God of the universe, and he can't be turned into some idol that makes us feel good. Sometimes when we say it's, um, it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship, we fall into a big term, libertarianism, ethics. We can just do what we want, nothing's out of bounds, but practically when we do that, we become our hypocrites, and our culture sees us as unworthy of being listened to. What does authentic Christian look, ministry look like in earthly form? We're going to talk about that in Galatians. We're going to see that in authentic Christian ministry, many times the leaders themselves cannot agree on what's the most important thing. We're going to watch Peter and Paul have a pretty significant disagreement and when we step back and say, what do we believe is true? We're going to say they're both apostles, both of their words are true, but for a moment, they're having big disagreements. And if the apostles have disagreements, you can bet that our elders, our ministry staff, our deacons, we do too. How do we sort through that? We're going to get into Galatians, and what's real Christian ministry look like? Sometimes it can be really crass and candid. I'm not going to read it today, but eventually I hope you will even go down and read it this week. What's he talking about? Read through Galatians. Read through in a contemporary commentary that doesn't read religiously. just kind of reads as people talking. You're going to go, wow, did Paul really write that? Paul, the author of Galatians, the master missionary, can get really mad. He can say really crass things. He can do things that would make us feel embarrassed. And God's moving when he does that. What's happening? Big history. The gospel is going forward. Jesus has risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit has come into his apostles. They're starting churches. And then something really radical has happened. Those churches have started to be just Jewish, and now they're going to the Gentiles, the Greeks, those who aren't Jewish. 
These non-Jewish people are becoming believers in Jesus' resurrection. The Holy Spirit's entering their life. They're radically changing. And as they're radically changing, though, these non-Jewish people don't pick up Aramaic. They don't use the same language. They come back to their old Greek philosophy to understand the world, their culture, and even their understandings of citizenship are different from the Jews, and there's lots of tensions developing. If you read through the book of Acts, I think Galatians was written before Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 is the tensions of hit a moment where it's inescapable. You've got to get all the Christian leaders together and come up with what do we do with all of these cultural tensions I think Galatians is written before they've had their conference and figured it out. They've yet to meet, discuss the matters, and write their guidelines. When we get to study Galatians today, it's a little privilege we get. Because we get to wade in and read through what's it like in Christian ministry when life is messy. When it's not clear. When the leaders themselves have pretty significant disagreements. Let me take you through the first ten verses of Galatians. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll read it, and we'll work through it. Hopefully, we'll get done soon, and we'll all eat a meal in a short amount of time. I'll be reading from Holman's translation, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from man or by man, but by Jesus Christ, the God of Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with him. To the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace, grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ, but are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse beyond you. And as we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse beyond you. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or of God, or am I just striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Please be seated. Okay, let me work through the text. Hopefully make this understandable. Opens up with Paul saying, this is who wrote it. These are the authors. It's Paul and then those who are traveling with him. He mentions that he is an apostle. Now, if you were to be a student of Greek, and you come across a word called apostolos, which we get apostle from in most of our English translations. If you were just reading ordinary Greek 2,000 years ago, you'd stumble across that word much the same way that we might stumble across the word like ambassador in English. It's meaning somebody who is sent, commissioned by someone to go someplace else with a message. And with the message you bring, it's really not something you created. It's a message that you've been sent with to deliver. It's what an ambassador should be doing for his nation. Sometimes, I think, in the New Testament, I think we're going to see some moments where that word apostolos, which will translate apostle, 
is used in kind of an ordinary way. We might be able to use it to talk about a missionary, someone who's been sent by a local church or a local or a, a Christian mission to some new place to start something of God. And there's a commissioning, there's some authority with that. But honestly, if you meet a missionary who thinks God's speaking to him directly and every email that he fires out is in the same weight of, say, the Gospel of Matthew, that guy's a lunatic. Don't listen to him. I think Paul, in this moment, is going to use the word apostle. Not in that ordinary way. Not that is somewhat free to be used by God's people. He's using it to talk about something that's authoritative for all time. I think he's referring back to these 12 apostles who Jesus had selected, who followed him for three years, who were with him through the teaching and through the healings and through the conflict and through his death and saw him rise from the dead. And then when they were scared in a room, the Holy Spirit filled them. And they went forth preaching the gospel and writing books such as we would see in 1 Peter or John that are authoritative for all time. And I think Paul is saying, I have that authority. And it's similar to the 12. You would look at it maybe in Acts chapter 1 if you want to get some more of that. And Paul is not sent by man. The message translation says, I, I didn't do this by a popular voter. I wasn't appointed by some human higher-up. I've literally been sent by Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the United One. And I am sent by the Father, and this Father raised Jesus from the dead. That's the basic story of the Gospel that Paul repeats over and over and over again in his messages. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, What's the Gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As Paul is writing with the authority of an apostle, he mentions he's writing with the brothers who are with him. And I think he's writing as a missionary team. If we're studying through Acts, you're going to notice that most of the time, when Paul goes city by city, he seems to take some leadership, but he always, if possible, avoids going alone. A few times he does, but most of the time he's trying to have somebody go with him. The weight gets shared out. My sense is when Paul writes this letter to a group of churches in a cluster in a province called Galatia, the Holy Spirit's guiding him. He's writing as an apostle. But even if you can handle this, this is the, the way that the Spirit works in our life. He, he writes it down, he tells people what he's thinking, and then he kind of asks, guys, what do you think? Am I off base here? And it gets to be refined, and what's interesting to me is it gets refined, and it's still pretty emotional and pretty crass. But this is how God works. Paul's initiating, others are helping. The audience is the Galatians, which is a province in, in Rome. Really, today, if you were to look at a map, it's central Turkey. There's a couple of theories, what are these churches? And I'll be a little academic for a moment. Some will say, well, these are churches in northern Galatia, which we don't have any record of Paul ever visiting. We, and part of the reason people will come up with that theory is as he writes in Galatia, he's real candid about his life, he's real candid about the emotions that he's feeling. He's at times crass, but he doesn't use anybody's name, which would make some scholars think, well, maybe he really didn't know anybody in those churches. He did have to address it personally. I lean towards what theologians call the Southern Galatians theory, which would be 
writing to these churches that Paul started in Acts 13 and 14, which would be in the cities of Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, Pisidia. And if you read through Acts 13 and 14, you'll find in Paul's first missionary journey, he goes into these cities, he starts in Jewish synagogues, he gets a little bit of a hearing, he preaches good gospel sermons, and then conflict breaks out. As the conflicts break out, he starts to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and he starts these churches that are a mixture of Jewish and Gentile, and there's a lot of exciting conversions, but there's also a lot of conflict, and sometimes it's violence. And Paul knows these churches, but he's decided to be painfully candid. And I think the reason he doesn't call anyone out specifically, this is me speaking as a missionary, why I would write it this way. He's worried if he gets too personal, if he picks out too many names in a divided church, maybe he's going to even stir up more division. He says, let me just give him my emotions, give him my thoughts, give him some candor. He's going to step away from making it too personal. Then as he starts writing, he has a blessing. The first word is grace. He wants these churches to know about the everlasting, forgiving kindness of God. The second word is peace, that they can have a restored relationship with God and humanity. Eugene Peterson's translation says something to the effect of he wants these churches to know you belong here. This church that you're part of, this movement that you're part of, is your community and your home. And if I were to make it real applicable today, I want you to know all of you who are here at Revive today, stay for lunch. This is your home. This is your community. We want you here. No matter what, we're family. It reminds them that they have a history of things they've lived through. That Jesus Christ had given up his life so that they could be rescued from the evil age. Paul knows their, their background has been one that's been tied up in sin and addictions and shames and cycles and broken relationships. And when they look around them, all they see is evil, but there's nothing new. And today, if you're walking in thinking, I'm tied up in all of this mess, you can be freed from this evil age. And that happens by the will of God. It's planned from eternity. This is for God's glory forever and ever. Six to ten, I've labeled that this is it, and here's where we start to get into the rough nature of this Epistopus letter. Paul's amazed at what is happening. Some translations will say he's stunned. He's astounded. The Galatians are quickly turning away. They're leaving his message of freedom. It appears that after Paul left, he had been dealing with this tension between Jews and Gentiles, and some new Christians who are Jewish have raised their heads up, and now that Paul's not there, they're saying, you've got to follow all of you Gentiles, you've got to follow all of these rules. And in fact, if you're a man who's never been circumcised, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to physically look like us. Paul's amazed. He's stunned. And he reminds them of some things. One is that they're called. 
You've heard me say this before. Usually when the Bible uses the phrase called, it's talking about some experience that we have as God's people that we can never forget, never deny. God's moved in our way and we've heard him speak clearly. And as we've heard him speak clearly, he doesn't tell us what our impulses want to hear. He's pulling us away from the things we want to hear. And he's saying, come back and then go forward doing things that you would never dream about on your own. And the Galatian Christians are turning away from a message of freedom. And they're going back to a different gospel. And it's one of slavery. One translation says they're deserted. Paul says to them, if you hear this, hear a message different than freedom in Jesus, a message of rules and cultural expectations, that's a different gospel. And he says, even if it's me, even if it's I, Paul, the church planner, the pastor, the missionary, the apostle, even if it's one of the guys that is close to me, if it's Silas or Timothy or Titus or Barnabas or John Mark, if it's one of them, have you ever hear one of us say it's Jesus plus all of these rules? It's Jesus plus this dress or this physical marker or this cultural way of doing things that's not the gospel. We're off kilter. You should reject it. And then he says, not only should you reject it if it's a gospel of Jesus plus from us, you should reject that if you hear that from an angel from heaven. And he's going to be referring to, to this, and you know it if you read the Bible, and we even talked about this just a few weeks ago. God's people have heard angels proclaim all sorts of good news. And the most recent one that we read about was proclaiming that Jesus, the Son of God, has entered into our lives. He's God in the flesh here. And if one of those historic announcers enters into your life and says, you've got to add something to the gospel other than Jesus transforming you by the power of his Spirit, and it's a new set of rules or expectations, don't buy it. It's not true. It's off-kilter. And twice he talks about a curse. If a missionary or a team does that, they'd be cursed. If an angel does it, they should be cursed. Anyone who preaches a new gospel should be cursed. And if we're looking for a, a Paul who's always gentle, this isn't Paul of the Galatians. He's not. He talks about a paradox of seeking God, seeking the favor of God over the favor of people. Let me quickly read this, verse 10. For I am now trying to win, for I, am I now trying, excuse me, for am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. This is really, in some ways, what this whole book is going to be boil down to the choice put before these Christians in the province of Galatia. They've experienced radical life change. 
They've experienced the Holy Spirit coming in. They've put aside their idols, their false sins. They've seen what Jewish law culminates in. And with all these things that they've received, they've had to walk into the life of mystery where things are not always laid out clearly. They've had to deal with, for lack of better terms at times, ambiguity when you want things to be clear and concise and concrete and well planned out. And they've also lost the favor of the relationships around them. And they have a choice that they can pursue the favor of God or the favor of man. We have that choice today. Do we choose the favor of God or the favor of people? And if we choose to pursue the favor of man, of other human beings, we actually will step into a world of slavery. But this is the paradox of it. When we choose to be free, we choose to be a slave of Christ. When we choose to be enslaved, we choose to be enslaved to human expectations. And sometimes those human expectations can take away a lot of the lack of comfort, but they're actually forms of slavery. When we choose to be, have human comfort, we have endless rules, systems, cultural expectations, but we're constantly chasing the favor of others. In some ways, it's like we have to relive junior high over and over and over again. How can I please people? Constant fear of social offense. But when we become mature, we can step into a place of mystery and say, I will be a slave to Christ. I will not bow down to the idols of human expectation. And I'm going to look kind of foolish frequently as a slave to Christ. That's my freedom. I'm going to conclude with a blessing. I'm going to be reading Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5 from the New Living Translation. Why don't you stand and receive this blessing? May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever.